0: If you just learn the two-letter words, you're going to beat everybody you meet because nobody plays with, you know, nobody knows all of them and you can make parallel plays. You can create plays, parallel other plays and make a whole bunch of two-letter words and then you get like 50 extra points.
1: So if you could just drop a tile and land yourself 50 points. That's...
0: Yeah, exactly. That happens. That happens in, in our games as well. Sometimes we're playing and then somebody drops QI for 62 points. You're like, oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> now, now I'm going to lose. <laughs> Welcome to the Hey Good
1: Game podcast, where we chat with the creators of your favorite games that you secretly play in the cracks of your day. All right, Aaron. So today we're talking with Cesar and Jesse of Woogles, and I didn't didn't close the loop on the ketchup. So if you listen all the way through, you won't get a a payoff on the condiments. One of them
2: loves ketchup. One of them doesn't. We didn't close that loop, but we covered a lot of other great ground. I thought it was really interesting, you know, their approach to creating a 501c3 for the, the exploration of this game. And frankly, like n- no offense to a lot of nonprofits, but a lot of nonprofits, you know, just because it is volunteer effort, like websites maybe don't look super professional, don't, don't have the highest quality things. Like you, you go to their website, this looks like a company. Like this looks like a legit enterprise. And I think a lot of that just comes back to Cesar and Jesse's background and, and you know, really taking a professional approach to things and, and frankly, their love of Scrabble. So it, it was cool to talk with them here and kind of see how, how everything came to be. Yeah. Super exchange around the difference between
1: like, Hey, I've done a, a legit startup and we're doing what is a, a nonprofit along the way. And I didn't anticipate it getting so far down the AI path so early in the conversation, but uh, we touched on all kinds of stuff and we hope you enjoy the episode. Killer. Today, we're thrilled to speak with Cesar del Solar and Jesse Day, who helped bring Woogles to the world. Both Cesar and Jesse have shared interest in Scrabble. However, they do not share their interest in condiments. One of them is a coder, the other is a data cruncher, and together, along with the community, they've built Woogles, a nonprofit for gaming with a particular love of words. Welcome, guys. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having us.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for having us.
1: For sure. I understand uh, we're spread across the country. Aaron and I are in Minneapolis. Where do we find you guys?
3: I'm normally in Austin, Texas. Uh, although I'm currently in Colorado with my family.
1: Oh, wonderful! Oh, cool.
3: I'm in New Jersey myself.
1: Fantastic! Both great parts of the country.
0: My wife is from Edina, so.
1: Oh, uh,
0: near Minneapolis.
1: Did you say Medina or no, Edina? Edina. Yeah. Edina. I, I know a little bit about that. I might be in Edina right now.
0: Oh, cool! <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, well, that's wonderful. There's more to talk about there. Like, where did you guys meet? And no, let's not do that. <laughs> so, wow, well... I understand that I understand that Woogles was inspired by another dot org, and this was Lynchus, right? Leechus, I think. Leechus. Let's not ask me to pronounce anything more. <laughs> but tell me, tell us about that aha moment.
0: I remember this uh, very clearly. I was a uh... I think I was on, on something like, like Reddit or, or Hacker News back in like 2013, 2014. And somebody was talking about different sites for playing chess. And then I clicked on the thread and somebody mentions how Lee Chess is a this beautiful site and has everything like it was made by like, like one single developer and and it does like everything that you want in a chess site. Like you have analysis and tournaments and, and it's just a nice way to play. it's all open source. So I clicked through. And I was just like shocked, like just by looking through, like, like I couldn't believe like that one person built this, and I immediately fired an email to him, telling him like this is one of the most impressive things I've ever seen, and I I'm so inspired to do something similar for like a game like Scrabble, but you know there's a, there's a copyright issue, so and the, I don't know if I would get like buy in from the founders and what what for the from the trademark owners, and you know he responded just like a nice like like I thank you for emailing me, hope you know hope it works out, and then that was just in my head for a few years, and then. Once the pandemic hit, it was, it was Jesse, myself, and, and, uh, and a third guy named Conrad, who served as a designer, who got together and decided to make something. Kind of like in my head, like, like I took a lot of inspiration from Lee Chess, but there was also like a lot of our own secret sauce there as well.
1: Yeah. The pandemic threw the world a number of curveballs, but it's a recurring theme that something was made during that time, and we can chalk this up to that. That's wonderful. And Jesse, how did you was it like a Zoom cast and he he threw an idea over the wall or how did you come across this this wild notion from your friend the developer?
3: Well, before the pandemic, I was mostly preoccupied with kind of the selfish pursuit of being as good of a Scrabble player as I could be. And I made it to the World Championship finals twice. The first time I was two games away from winning. The second time I came one game away from winning. And then the pandemic happened. And I realized as I wanted to compete that the only websites that were out there to play my game of choice on were the same ones from almost 15 years earlier where I'd started in the mid 2000s as a teenager. The UI hadn't changed. There were vulnerabilities. It was not suitable for high level competition. And so I think we probably mutually complained about this together until we actually got enough. Uh, we were just probably tossing ideas around and it started to get an amount of seriousness because our friends got interested and that's when we decided to actually raise money and try to turn this into a reality. Super.
1: I we both Aaron and I have been there where you just kick stuff around for fun and then, and then it gets serious, right, Aaron? Yeah,
2: <laughs> seems a little familiar.
1: <laughs> I think the phrase is "None of us need another K one," <laughs>
0: <laughs> but <laughs> it's fantastic. One interesting aside is that Jesse and I, like for a couple of years before, were actually in a in a project to develop an AI to play the game of, of Scrabble as well as possible, right? And. We'd, we'd been like, we'd had like planning sessions over at his apartment where we'd like sketch out things. And sometimes even we actually worked at the same job for a couple of years. Sometimes we'd stay after work and then like sketch out algorithms and stuff. And it was around when the pandemic started that we said, okay, like we have something that's pretty good. We want to show the world the AI is about as good as the current existing one on the market. And then we decided, well, do we actually want to do an AI or do we want to make a way for everybody to play? So, we kind of decided to, mm. to create Woogles and put the AI on hold for a bit. But lately, I've been, I, I've been working a bit more on the AI and Jesse like came up with some really good values for different parameters that are superior to those of, of Quackle, which is the, the existing AI for Scrabble. right now. So I think we now have the best AI in the world, but we, we want to do some more experiments and play it against existing AIs and you know, there's people on, on YouTube making like series, like best of 100 series against it and getting their butts kicked. So. That's <laughs> kind of nice.
1: Oh, that's fun! Best of one hundred against the current model.
0: Yeah, the best AI that we have that we have right now, the current
1: yeah. model exactly.
0: But we still haven't applied like we'd like to apply machine learning and things like that to it. Right. Jesse's the expert of that. But but even what we have right now, without that, is like I think it's formidable enough.
2: I'm super curious about AI on this. I've got a coding background. I'm I'm not deep in AI, but you know, as I think about AI in the gaming space, you've you've got kind of levels of you know, what's been developed over time with, with different games. And if I've got the history, right, you know, it, at first it was kind of, okay, we're going to build AI for chess. And, and that was seen as this audacious thing for a long time. Like, can we even build an AI that's gonna, gonna beat the world's best chess players, but then like building it for, for go seemed like the unachievable thing. And, and now there's, there's AI for that. What's, what's your guys' assessment for, for Scrabble, like level of difficulty if you compare building AI for that to uh, you know, building AI for, for chess or ergo or some of these other popular
3: games? It's extreme. There, there's no other way to put it just because of the number of permutations. When I draw tiles out of a tile bag, there are a hundred tiles, always the same tiles every game, but there's a hundred factorial different ways or orders that I can draw tiles out of, out of the tile bag. So to solve it deterministically is a massive challenge beyond any other game. But it is not frequently approached that way. A lot of people think Scrabble is solved simply because learning the words is such a challenge that very few humans do so at the level of a a computer.
0: Yeah, a computer can just find all the plays immediately.
3: Right, but there's this whole deep strategic Aspect to it that is really only the surface is being scratched. Yeah. Our, our best player, Nigel Richards, who is this otherworldly, kind of famous even on random Reddit threads, Saban, who can read dictionaries and then play in the, in that lexicon at a world class level. Uh, he does stuff that none of us understand. Yeah, and that's, we've tried to replicate it. I have
0: a video where, where I, I replicated something that he did. Like based on like the move that his opponent made, we tried to apply inferences. We would say, okay, based on the move that, that that Nigel's opponent made, can our bot figure out what the best move that Nigel should make in return? Because Nigel at the time made something that we thought was was a ridiculous move, and it turns out that we were able to replicate that move, but we cannot replicate other moves in the same vein. So, kind of interesting to, to see what he's doing differently from all of us, but he's. Yeah, it's something that that hopefully, like with maybe the advent of like machine learning, we can try to replicate it more. But at, at the moment, like as Jesse said, like there's so many possibilities that we do like a probabilistic approach, where for any given position, you just do like something called like Monte Carlo sampling, like where you you play out different like random choices for your rack and for their rack and for your rack again, and then you you play like the best move. From those, like, and, and you use a very simple heuristic to find the best move because you have to do so many of this, and it has to has to be fast. So then, that heuristic is very underdeveloped. It's the same heuristic that that came up in the '80s in the very first yeah AI for this, like called Maven. But we don't have anything better now. It's 30 years later or 40 years later, but we don't really have anything better. And you know, we have a, an active Discord channel where people are talking about ideas and trying different things. Or talking about trying different things. I'm excited to see what comes of that. Like even if we just come up with a better evaluation heuristic, we could probably improve that Monte Carlo player significantly. But even then it's still really good. Like even with that simple heuristic it'll it'll beat almost any any human player except except we think probably Nigel. We'll have to match it against Nigel if he ever agrees. That would be awesome.
2: That's super interesting because I, I think just with my development background where where my head went first is well the computer's gonna beat me every time. It's like uh, my vocabulary is terrible, so like it's going to know the full dictionary. But I, I think Jesse, what you said about that whole strategic side and some of those examples from from Nigel, that's uh, super interesting. So great, great work on building that. That's amazing. You know, one one of the things that I'm curious about, like it, it seems like you guys are both, you know, in the startup scene and and probably capitalist by nature, in, in that regard, but. I, I don't see many games that like are intentionally backed by a five hundred one c three. Like there are, you know, certainly a lot of open source games out there. But when when did you get that idea specifically to like we we should really have a sort of a foundation behind this?
3: Well, it was it was out of survival, because unlike many other popular games worldwide, the game of Scrabble is copyrighted all over the world. Actually, the copyright holder in the US is Hasbro, but in the rest of the world, Mattel outbid Hasbro for the rights sometime a decade or two back. And that copyright seems like it's going to be there for for a long time. There is an expiration on on copyrights, but you can also reassert it potentially. So, so we had to reckon with that and we we've dedicated a large part of our lives to scrabble already but we had to come up with something that was not going to be a threat to the copyright holders and to state our intentions which were not to basically uh usurp their copyright and try to profit off of it but rather just to get more people playing scrabble and to lift the competitive level of the game uh, we figured that going the nonprofit route was the most promising thing we could do. And we have met with Mattel at least, and we have contacts at Hasbro since then. And I think we've, we had the idea that as a big corporation, they'd be extraordinarily defensive of their copyright because that's how they get to maintain the copyright is by regularly challenging it. But they've actually been very receptive to us because of, I think we have a great mission. We have kind of a scholastic focus. A lot of our players are schoolchildren from uh, countries like Malaysia, Indonesia, India, Sri Lanka. And I, th- I think they, they like what we're, we're doing, We've sort of proven that we're, we're in this for the long haul and that we have these missions that are covered under the 501c3 category.
2: All right, everyone. Quick break. Attention game creators, have you ever thought about selling your game? At Hey Good Game, we're looking to acquire and steward some of the most popular and beloved games on the internet. Even if you're just curious, we offer a fast process to getting you an offer. Just provide some basic analytics and revenue details, and we'll quickly get back to you. If you move forward with us, we usually close within 14 days. Visit hey.gg and see how we can take your game to the next level together. And now, back to the show.
1: That's fascinating. We're just making games and having fun and kind of goofing off. But when I came across you all, I started thinking back to when I had to learn words. And Friday was always spelling test day. And Thursday night, I would spend crying because I've never been able to spell. And when the first computers came out, I was so excited because they give you a little squiggly line under it. Like really big vocabulary, but spelling for whatever reason is never organized mm-hmm. well. As we've been playing games and building up games and teachers reaching out to us talking about math, largely our math games, mm-hmm. it's wonderful to hear you on the language side connecting a similar kind of like, hey, we're just goofing off. Wait, there's an education part. And I would love to have not been uh, tearful you know, fourth grader (laughs) right on Thursday nights, I started playing the license plate game and I was like, Oh, Uh Oh, this is fun. Uh Oh, 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 I get this. So I had like a fear and death of words. Where did your love of words start?
0: Um, Yeah. It's it's hard hard to know. Like I, like, like you have the, the spelling, the spelling, like being terrified of spelling and myself, like I, I actually moved to this country when I was nine. Um, I, I was born in Venezuela about capitalist countries right <laughs> so I was born in Venezuela I moved to this country when I was nine and back in 1993. and I had to learn English and my my brother had helped me like for a few months before because he, he he's a little bit older than me he's about ten years older than me and he actually um, already knew some English yeah. and uh, having like taken it in school so he was teaching me English before but I was still here and I was very very much a neophyte at the language and my school started having spelling bees so for some reason, I was just good at spelling bees, even though I didn't know English, and I actually made it to the school finals. But I, lo- I remember I lost on the word uh, "facial," like per- you know, pertaining to the face. I just could not figure out what he was saying because I, I don't, I've never seen that word in print, and then I, I spelled it "fashion" or something. Like that. But I think he also mispronounced it. Somebody told me that he mispronounced the word. I can't remember. And then, but I always like like for some reason, like words just kind of stuck in my head. And it wasn't until I was like sixteen or so that. I found Yahoo Literati online, and it was like a like a light bulb like turned on for me. Like I, I used to play Yahoo games like Hearts and Graffiti and all those games back, and, back in the early two thousands, and Literati showed up, and, and I just got hooked on it. Like it just, I just I can't even explain it, but I just loved the idea of putting words together and scoring points and finding you know bingos and long words and yeah, that was like like an aha moment.
3: I guess in my case, I had sort of a similar background to S S R where I actually grew up out of the country from ages five to 13. So when I was five years old, I moved to Italy. When I was eight, I moved to France. And I think doing that maybe kind of helped me develop language learning, just skills. And it's still something I'm really passionate about. Uh, but I think I was fortunate to have that that experience. And I think it translate when I discovered Scrabble as a 16 or 17 year old, I think that was part of, it was almost like learning a foreign language, because frankly, when you look at the words and the definitions, there's some arcane stuff in there. It's uh, just a convolution of hundreds of years of language evolution, obscure Scottishisms, uh, Hinglish, Singlish, which is Singapore English. There's all sorts of wild stuff. And we actually, one of the obnoxious things about Scrabble is there are two perfectly reasonable Lexicons. One is the U.S. one, and the other is the international, which has thirty thousand more words. And I've gravitated to the latter, I think, just because it has all that that jumbled. It has Maori words. It. I find it kind of a treat. A lot of people think it's a pain in the ass, but uh, so that's <laughs> that's my journey. Yeah,
0: I, I, uh, I tend to play mostly in the American one, but it's really like I mean, I, I love the international one. I like playing in it, but. I don't really get to travel that much now nowadays, or it's going to be a while until I can really travel again much. Good point. And, and the the US still gravitates like I think like eighty or ninety percent of our tournaments are still in the in the US lexicon. But once in a while, I'll try out like a tournament in the in the world lexicon. And I'm not as good at it. Obviously, I don't I don't study it very much at all. Like I just I just know the three letter words and then a few bingos and a few a few high scoring so uh, plays besides this.
1: Yeah. So you've got AI deterministic models to try to figure out how to play. You've got like a number of different games for just learning words. There's two separate dictionaries. There's right. I just look at Scrabble and go, Oh, I'm really glad I'm not playing that. (laughs) How, how do you build, what are your tips? Like a new learner, right? If you had to make a quick radio hit about how to learn Scrabble quickly to a new, fresh, Person playing, what are your tips?
0: Learn the two-letter words. The two-letter words, there's only like, it's like about a hundred of them, like give or take. It depends on the lexicon, but you already know most of them because they're just part of the English language. And then the weird ones, like you know, ZA means pizza, QI means like the Chinese, like a like a chi, like life force. There's a few words like that, that are super useful, but if you just learn the two-letter words, like you're gonna you're gonna beat everybody you meet because nobody place you know nobody knows all of them and you can make parallel plays. you can create place parallel other plays, and make a whole bunch of two-letter words and then you get like 50 extra points just by doing that
1: ah there's always a little hack in this case like the simple one right like the one-off two-letter words
0: of course there's much more to it than that but that's one way if you if you want to just Meet your, your friends.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I usually see the little colored tile where it's like double word, whatever. And I'm like, huh, I don't know how to put that <laughs> in. <Like, laughs> so if you could just drop a tile and land yourself 50 points, that's...
0: Yeah, exactly. That happens, that happens in, in our games as well. Sometimes we're playing and then somebody drops QI for 62 points. And you're like, oh, great.
2: <laughs> <laughs> now, now I'm going to lose. <laughs> I, I saw Jesse's wheels turn in there. What, what tips have you got for us, Jesse?
3: Uh, I was thinking back to what it was like when Sussar and I were playing online and how we got into it or how we improved. And sometimes I think when we make it to expertdom, we think of the, the hurdles for expertdom, which are learn the two-letter words, three-letter words, four-letter words. But I think it's more about... There are actually a lot of ways to be good, There's a strong math component. There's a spatial reasoning component. I have friends who are experts, but uh, their specialty will be they just find nice place, just things that lock in to the fabric of the board creatively. I guess sometimes we're we have this ideal of perfection, but I think really what you want to do is just play. Come on, Woogles, play games, play people from all over the world and just we have a free analyzer. I think it's the only one on the web that I'm aware of where you can just, uh, leechess style, you can just kick it up after a game and look at the moves you could have done instead. Anyone can access it. It's not gated by any kind of paywall, it's never going to be gated by a paywall, but anyone can just use that and, and learn. And I would just do that play some fun games, pick one that you're interested in, crack open the analyzer, and just take one or two ideas of oh yeah i could have done that sometimes it'll be a crazy word but a lot of times it's just a small play
0: we also have a puzzle mode so right the puzzle mode is nice because you just you're just given a position and you try to find the the best play from your rack that would play in that, that board and one of the cool things is that we we specifically geared it so that more than 50 percent of the solutions are common like everyday like English words like we we have some contributors on Discord that actually created a common word language lexicon right like a common English word lexicon and uh, this one guy specifically like two or three years ago he would like stream himself going through the dictionary and giant Excel spreadsheet and labeling words as common he did this for like months and finally he whittled it down to about forty or fifty thousand words that are. Words, that, like, most of them are words that you and I, that you or I would, would recognize as common English words. There's still a couple of them that are kind of iffy, <laughs> and there's still a couple that he left out that he probably should have put in there. But it's a really cool way for people to learn, like we can actually like newcomers could try that lexicon. And that kind of like one of the advantages of that is that it becomes a purely strategic game at that point, because everybody knows these words and it's just about who can find them and who can make the best plays. Like, and I think it's kind of like a nice thing for like, for example, for chess players who want to try our game, and they don't want to learn like you know, 100,000 words to be competitive, they take words that they know from everyday life. So our puzzles, like many of them have these common word solutions, yet they're still very difficult because one thing is knowing it's a word and the other thing is finding the word on the, on the board, like right? for, some, for some of them. And the puzzles are of different ratings, like our, our players have actually tried them and Based on how many people solve them and how many people miss them, they get automatically rated. So then, new players they can you know if they, if they miss a few of those of those uh, harder puzzles, their ratings will go down, and they'll try easy puzzles and kind of bounce around like that. So at any given time, we have like ten or so people doing puzzles, but sometimes it goes up, like when we when we release new puzzles, we have puzzles in English, French, German. I think I think those are the three languages support for for puzzles. Yeah. Not quite Norwegian yet. We don't have enough games in that.
2: But. <laughs> How many words is in that common lexicon dictionary versus, say, the American dictionary? I think the common lexicon
0: has about 40 or 50,000. The American one has about 180,000. Okay. But the ones that we care about, like the, the ones that we really care about are like two through eight letter words. And those, I want to say like for the American one, it's closer to like 80 or 90,000. Okay. And, and for the common one, maybe it's like 30,000, 20 or 30,000. I'm, I'm not exactly sure. But, but yeah, that's about the, the order of magnitude. Uh, the Collins Dictionary has about maybe 120 or 130,000 two through eight letter words. So it's quite, it's quite a bit more. But that's the international one that, that, that Jesse was talking
1: about. Okie dokie, a quick break. Are you a fan of games that challenge your mind and sharpen your skills? Dive into the world of Hey Good Game, where brainy fun meets creativity. Check out Mathler. You can think of it as Wordle, but with numbers. Solve daily puzzle games using math operations to find the correct answer. Then, explore Sumpleat, a math game designed with the help of ChatGPT. This game borrows concepts from Hitori, offering a unique challenge for puzzle enthusiasts. You can find those games and others at hey.gg. And now, back to the show.
2: It's really interesting. I think uh, it ties back to a lot of people don't realize on wordle like one one of the things that really made that game work is they they narrowed down the the dictionary of the the five letter words to like three thousand common words that that most people know yeah and uh that's super intriguing are do you guys play wordle or is that too easy for you
0: It's, it's fun i think we all got a little bit into it there's not there's still some people who still play it every day like i see them on my facebook wall but um, yeah, I got into it for a bit. It's, it's not even that, that easy. It's just, uh, you know, it's, it's like, we, we we would love to like kind of riff on that idea. Like I like these crazy like wordle. You know, where you have like four, four words at the same time or or eight at the same time. But I haven't uh, I haven't really like gotten back into it like for a few months.
3: Yeah, we were thinking at one point about how do we achieve a similar level of virality, but with with a word game or a simple word game and what are the components that make Wordle so viral? And it's just, you can do it quickly. You're, they keep basic counting stats so you can compare and share that out. And we incorporated uh, some of that to our site. We, I wouldn't say shamelessly copied, but we try to make positions shareable. Uh, I think we could go a lot further with it. It's like one of my, if I were working on this full time, that'd be one of the first things I try to to crack because Every, a lot of people are familiar with the game, and I, I feel like you could do a little mini puzzle and uh, people would be interested. Yeah.
0: Yeah, you can share puzzles from our site and people can open up the puzzles and right. immediately show some the, the screen. You could even share a, a GIF of your, like an animated GIF of your, of your game. So I put them on Twitter or something. So we did that for a few like famous games like the finals of 2020 something or like, like the, like we've, ho- we've hosted a free world tournament. So, you know, we can put up gifts, like either animated or, or static gifts saying like, what would you play here? And it's like, right. Export exportable right from our site.
1: Cool. I'm just seeing like YouTube bars with large play heads. Cause you're anticipating the next, move right like you're you're just gaming total playback
2: time on the <laughs> just, yeah I'm, I'm curious uh do you have other favorite word games besides scrabble or, or playing on woogles
0: i probably got into like boggle you know like the boggle and boggle like games like for for a bit uh i'm not very good at them but every once in a while i i try to get good at it kind of need to use, use a different part of your brain i feel like i know a lot of words but there's people who are like 10 times better than me or Boggle. <laughs> no matter how much I work on
3: it. It's funny that you asked that because it's making me realize that I've, I feel like I've been on this single-minded quest to be as good as Scrabble as possible. And sometimes the other games can feel like distractions or you can feel guilt. Like, oh, I should be studying. But you have to mix in some, some more fun in there. So, I mean, one thing I like that we offer on our site is we have um, Clabbers, which is... You can play any shuffling of the letters of a real word. You could play any anagram, we'd call it. And the, the boards look insane. They turn into these 8 by 8 just cubes where everything... You could just add a letter if it can make, a, make an anagram. It looks wild. You score like 1,000 versus 900. We have a bot that does it that'll just crush you and make you feel inadequate so that would probably be my guilty pleasure is going and playing the bot and just getting smacked around a bit and reduced back to like marveling at computers basically
1: fantastic and so you're marveling at computers is that similar to what's the game aerolith where you've like the, the letters are all mixed up and you have to type it out but what you're saying is you can mix up the letters. And drop board board. all the exactly yeah call the real word got it yeah the permutations on that are insane
0: yeah like, ha- like imagine you have the word cat well you can you can play cat yeah and then um, that's a word because because it, it can anagram into cat and then you can imagine how yeah you can imagine how a board would get when every every word could just be any permutation of it so the fact that we have a bot and an analyzer for that is insane like nobody has built one like that we have we have a genius uh, singaporean programmer who Who's, who's on our team, who, who comes up with crazy algorithms. He's a guy who, who, who came up with that bot that can play Clavers like perfectly, pretty much.
3: Yeah, one of the interesting tensions about running Wogles is that Cesar and I are very deep down the well. And there is a crowd of probably a few thousand experts around the world who are similarly deep. And what they push us to build is just newer and crazier we have a challenge mode where you immediately lose if you play a fake word (laughs) But on the flip side. Our mission, literally our mission as a nonprofit is to expand the game and educate. And if we devote too much time to these crazy features, that actually is not going to do much for 95 to 98 percent of our user base who are literally just kids learning how to play the game. So we have to be pretty selective with how we balance kind of newcomer friendly features and appealing to our core demographic
1: yeah this notion of limited dictionary seems really cool right like you're like here learn these 200 words all right now go right okay now let's do 400 let's do and it would be the similar like all words reversed but just smaller anyway that would help my tier filled fourth grade mind.
2: <laughs> make make it more accessible and make it way harder. Ready? Go. Go. <laughs> yeah. You, you're working on both sides of the plot graph. Well, that's cool. You know, Cesar, I think we saw a little bit in your your background, maybe you were programming a a Casio when you were younger, building some games that way. I'm I'm just curious, gaming at large, how'd you both get introduced and uh, what was your experience there?
0: So I, I used to live in Venezuela and, you know, we, we were the children of, um, like basically my dad was a, a U.S. immigrant. So he would like have to live there most of the time and then he would come back to Venezuela and it was, it was, hard, it was hard on us, right? Like it's like the family being split up a lot. Like I actually didn't spend, I spent a couple of years of my babyhood with my aunts who lived in Venezuela because my brother was there. So we were, we, we all needed to like kind of take care of him and anyway like we had like a crazy situation like that but i remember one of my happiest memories is when i was six and my dad came came back in Venezuela he brought me a nintendo a nintendo entertainment system and i was like what is this and i got completely hooked obviously like mario and duck hunt and mario 3 and all those type of games right so that's that's how i got into gaming and part of me was like how do people make this like how can this happen i, I couldn't believe that people could, could make a game so i always had a brain that thought that way. So, so I remember my brother had a Casio calculator. He was about 10 years older than me. So he was already like in, in high school at the time or maybe starting college. And I, I started just playing with it and trying to see what it could do. I could draw little graphics. But it was all like, like just making graphs, for example. It wasn't anything special. But then I realized I had a programming. So then I would just try different things in the programming mode. You get it to print things out. I remember figuring out like the, an if statement, like if this, then that. Like I just figured it out. I just stumbled into it. There was, like, there was like an arrow. So I tried it out and I realized, oh my god, this is an if statement. And once you have an if statement, you can pretty much build anything. So then I started building little like number guessing games and games that like like I remember I had like a little dragon that would like catch eggs that fell from the top and you just move it around. So that and that would do that like once I moved to the US I had a like, more powerful calculator. So I would do that all day, like my T I eighty two, T I eighty three. And make these little games for my uh, for my friends. Like I remember I made a, a little tic tac-toe game and I didn't know much about how to program that kind of stuff, right? Like now now I know how to program a perfect tic tac-toe game. But back then, I probably just gave it a bunch of conditions. But still, nobody could beat it. And then this girl that sat behind me in science class, she would always like, ask for my calculator so she could play it instead of paying attention to class. And then one day, she shows me she beat it. I was like, what? How did you beat it? And she showed me the, that she had beaten the tic tac toe bot. <laughs> then I had to go and debug and figure out how she did that. So that, that's the kind of stuff I would do. And this is even before I owned the computer. We, we didn't get a computer until I was about like 14 or something. And then I, I was able to actually learn how to, how to program on a computer like with... Q Basic and C C. So I was always like in that world. Like like I would I would learn from books and, and then I started taking more C S classes and you know, the internet started getting better at, at teaching you that kind of stuff. But I, I was never like formally trained in C S. Like when I when I went to college I still studied electrical engineering, mostly because I wanted to, to not be on a computer all day. But <laughs> that's <was> my life. <laughs> I'm a I'm a programmer by day and by night. I, you know, I, I got away from it for a little bit. Electrical engineering is cool too.
3: I I was going to say one thing, which is that I think it's fascinating how dependent your gaming trajectory is on exactly how old you are within a couple of years. You can pinpoint how old I am because I had a Game Boy in my hands at three uh, with Dr. Mario and Super Mario. Right. And I had one of those big doorstop cube Macs that... I would play uh, educational games on like Spelunks or Math Blaster. And this stuff will mean absolutely nothing to anyone who's not exactly in my age range. And to anyone who is, I'll be like, oh, Math Blaster. Yes,
0: I remember Math Blaster.
3: Yeah, but I was also in that pocket of people who didn't have universal internet all the time. Like universal fast internet. Like I remember modems dialing up. I've I've always thought if I were born 5 years later and like I went to college when there was stuff like League of Legends, I would not have graduated or at least it would have there would have been some kind of a a reckoning. <laughs> but you know, this is kind of the the word gaming was kind of the best that it was online it was against many people simultaneously. So I think that competitive aspect was was, uh, like I was playing online boggle on the site called tangle word. When I was 11, I would get my mom to help me. Like we would we'd be cheating. Like I'd be on the, the keyboard. My mom would be doing the mouse <laughs> and we'd still like lose, but it still felt kind of like, yeah, so yeah, but it's funny that our, our trajectory could have been so different if we'd been born five years later, we would just had like these Giant multiplayer online games, and yeah, maybe our attention would have gone a completely different direction. Yeah, but there's still interest in Scrabble. That's the crazy thing. It's like even with all the shiny stuff out there, people still want to play.
0: Yeah, 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 for sure. That's all. All those games, like I know you had asked about games, and I I was mostly talking about coding, but in, in general, like like uh, all those games started coming up. Yeah, when I was already graduated from from high school and maybe even college. But I remember in high school I would play Starcraft a lot. That, that, that game was awesome the original StarCraft, and it had a modem. And then every once in a while, like it would freeze. So my, all my friends would wait 30 seconds for me to come back. <laughs> and sometimes my mom would pick up the phone, and I'd be like, oh, no. <laughs> no more StarCraft.
2: I think there's a, something interesting here just about the timelessness of, of some games like Scrabble and others that you think there's a timelessness, but is there? And, and what I mean by that is like I played so much Mario Kart 64. I got pretty good at it. But these days, like my son wants to play Mario Kart on the Switch and I I kind of refuse to cuz I know he's going to beat me. But I'm like, can we can we break out the Mario Kart 64 cuz <laughs> I got it. I got it.
1: <laughs> my son wants to play Madden and I'm like, "Oh, now I have to learn football and dexterity?" No, I don't I don't have your controller like The original Nintendo
3: had many fewer buttons than your controller.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah, 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 that's crazy. Xbox controllers, yeah.
3: I think I played a Madden Online League in like 2000 or 2001. Like they randomly had the ability to play online and then they deprecated it for years because it was buggy as hell. (laughs) But it's fascinating that all these games evolve towards this online competition aspect and then of course there's cheating immediately. That's anytime you have any kind of online competition, you have cheating, which we have to think about a bunch ourselves. But it's like fascinating how it's an emergent property of any any good game. It's like, okay, now I gotta duke it out against someone else.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Earlier we, we talked about César, you've got, you know, a bit of a startup background and some decisions were made for great reasons on on why to create Googles as a five oh one C three. How would you compare kind of the difference between starting and running and launching a nonprofit versus uh, doing the same in the startup world? What do you like more? What's what's not as good? Yeah, just what's the difference?
0: I actually think there's a lot of similarities between the two. Like I've done a startup before, I'm doing one right now. Back in 20, 2011, I did a, a startup with Y Combinator. We actually were able to get it off the ground, almost ran out of money, and then bounced off. And we were actually able to have an, a nice exit in 2014. Um, you know, decent one, we, we got acquired by, by a big company in San Francisco. And since then, I've been itching to do another, another startup. It was it was a fun thing. It was very stressful, obviously, like there's a ton of work, a ton of like, uncertainty. And then in 2017 or so, end of 2017, I, t- I took a job, Jesse referred me to his company that he worked at at the time. And they ended up interviewing me, I took a job there. So I moved back east. And that was another startup even though it was, it was later along but then once the pandemic hit we saw this as an opportunity to do another uh, startup like apply the same lessons that what you would do to a startup to, to creating wogles like we we created we did a kickstarter like raised money with mock-ups that that were not like what the existing had. has so it's a little bit like a lot, a lot of like companies do that where they like create a mock-up and then they see is there actually interest in this idea and actually we're considering doing the same thing for my current startup i was selling my my co founder, who is, a, is the same co founder who I worked with 10 years ago, I was telling him, Hey, why don't you just make a mock up for all of these? And we put them on our site and then, you know, ask people to show interest, we'll, we'll make those, those pages. You know? <laughs> so, so we did kind of something similar for, for Wokals where we created these beautiful mock ups. And then during the few months after the, the Kickstarter finished, it took us like three or four months to launch. You know, we made those mock ups come to life. There was a ton of work. Like uh, I remember we, we needed to get out of tournament mode. Before this big New Orleans tournament, is it the New Orleans tournament that happens every year? And they wanted to host it on our site during the pandemic. So there was like sleepless nights, like literally, like, like I slept like half an hour like the night before because we we're still having issues with the with the tournament mode. And then at the end, everything worked great. There was a little bit of a a panic moment where the tournament mode broke in the middle of starting the next round, and one of our team members, Lola, like she figured out the solution, like. She knew exactly what was happening, and I was able to get into the server, make a couple edits, and then reboot it. And then and the tournament went great after that. And that was that was awesome. I think there was a lot of, of panic and stress there, like behind the scenes. But then people were streaming the tournament. They they didn't like let that come through. They they said, oh, okay, everything's going great. There's a little bit of you know some technical delays, a little hiccup here and there, but. And then everybody was very—they were raving about the tournament. to give us donations. So I thought that was really nice. But there was a lot of those panic moments. There was a lot of uh, a, a lot of like. There was a little bit of tension too between like doing things that kind of the startup way, which is you just release features and then you iterate upon them, versus releasing something that's super polished but might not get used as much. So there was a little bit of, of back and forth there. Where me, me and the other team members we would discuss like what the, what our next feature should look like. But the fact that you know it was a. A 501c3, like we're not here to make a profit, and there's no real like deadlines. Like, we do, we, we set our own pace. That also makes it feel a little more relaxed as well. Like, we, we decided to not give ourselves deadlines anymore, kind of like we did for the tournament. That was really stressful for the tournament mode. So, after that, like, we've taken it a little bit easier, I would say.
3: Yeah, I think that's super interesting about working on a nonprofit. Or, I mean, Wiggles is basically a nonprofit foundation or in that mold. And the thing that's super interesting about that versus a profit motive is that when you have a profit motive, you can basically make any decision as a CEO. In the especially as a startup, you have to do pretty radical and often brutal things to just stay alive because that is the paramount concern. And we're trying to stay alive. And I, I mean, we have to. We have operating costs, right? So it's it's kind of similar with Wuggles. But the people who are contributing or volunteering, everyone everyone has who has worked on this was volunteering their time. And the result is, I feel like when you're in charge of something like that, you actually spend more time on sort of, uh, you you spend more time on ego management. Everyone who's there has a different reason for being there. They all have different goals, whether it's personal skill development, whether it's something really altruistic, whether it's something very actually self-minded, like I'm going to create a portfolio and this is going to be part of my portfolio. So you actually spend a lot more time kind of getting everyone to lock in because everyone's goals are slightly different and you can't really expect them to, to all be super aligned. Everyone is investing time in this nonprofit above and beyond their day jobs and they're all trying to get something distinct out of it. So you're just trying to find that nexus that, that binds people. And when you're doing at will employment at a startup, it's a little different. It's, it's like I am setting the goal and you will follow my goal and I will pay you a salary. Yeah. We do not that Option by comparison, yeah,
0: totally agree on that. Like we we have to do a little bit of managing, like yeah, people people's egos. I would say it, it, it's a, it's not as bad as it sounds, right? But but you, yeah, it's it's actually really important, like on the business development side as well as like even on the coding side. Like people have different coding styles, different ideas for what the licenses should be. You know, you have to kind of keep that all aligned. Either try to set a vision or try to let them get their pieces of their vision through, so that they can continue to be motivated to work on it. So. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit of a, of a juggling
2: game there. Well said. Well, well, kudos to you guys for spinning this up. I mean, the for a nonprofit, the site looks amazing. You've built some amazing things. It does look like if you go to woogles.io and you look for the uh, support woogles link, there's a, a link to do a one time donation there or a monthly donation. Here at Hey Good Game, I, I know we'll put in a contribution and, and just uh, really appreciate what you guys are doing to advance not just the Scrabble community, but learning at large. And I, and I think that's pretty awesome. Jesse and Cesar, if, if people want to reach out to you, is there a good place for people to find you online? Yeah, you
0: can say Wogles.io, or, or you could try our first names at wogles.io. Maybe the, the Wogles.io wuggles might be better. You just want to ask the company us anything.
2: Right on. Well, Cesar, Jesse, uh, thanks so much for your time today. Really appreciate you taking time with
3: us. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. Absolutely.